everybody, welcome to episode 74 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. On this episode, I'm joined by a great guest, but a very unexpected one. You see, I had a different guest lined up. I was all set up to record. I had my questions planned. I had an idea of what I wanted to talk about. And then I checked my messages. And my guest unfortunately had to cancel because of an emergency. Everything is okay. He is good. We are going to reschedule down the road. But that left me all set up to record with no guests, no topic, no nothing. So what do I do? I send out a tweet. At Metallica's pod on the Twitter machine. Give me a follow on there if you're not already. And I said, hey, I'm all set up to record. Who wants to record right now? Nothing planned. Just shoot the shit about Metallica. And I went with the first person who got back to me saying yes. And that was Nate from the Vinyl Guide podcast. A great podcast in and of itself. He had had so many great guests on there, including Robert Trujillo. You can check out the link to his podcast and to that specific episode in the episode description. And while this was unexpected, it was a really fun episode. Sometimes the best things happen when you're not expecting it. And I hope that Nate enjoyed himself. And I hope that Nate will come back on down the road and next time we can, you know, plan ahead and not just meet each other and 30 seconds later start recording. But this was a lot of fun. This is a great talk. I think all of you in the Metallicast Monday Show will really enjoy it. So here's my conversation with Nate from The Vinyl Guide. My guest today is a man who I just met. <laughs> We're doing something a little bit different this week. You see, uh, sometimes in the podcast world, you have cancellations. And uh, I've never really had a cancellation before, to be honest. Um, not one that was last minute anyway. So I was all set up to record. I checked my messages. My planned guests had an emergency. We're going to try to reschedule at a later date. Uh, it's going to be a great guest when he does come on. It's going to be worth the wait. Uh, but I sent out a lot. But until then, you get this schmuck. <laughs> until then, I, I, Brandon, I really appreciate how, how you make me feel so special here. It's, that was not I, my I, intention. I just giving a little well, bit of background I know, I know. that there I is. I appreciate that. That there is. It's really to cover my own ass because. Listen, if this episode sucks, um, I'm going to need you to save it, Nate. 
I'll do what I can for you, Brendan. But you're 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 already stacking the cards against it. So. <laughs> All right, rewind. New introduction. My guest today is no, the fine. host. <laughs> Leave it in. I insist. No, I insist. I'm leaving all this in. Um, I do want to. I just want to let you all know that this is a last minute edition. We have no plan. We are free balling this, if you will. Uh, we are just improvising our way through another exciting episode of Metallicast. Welcome to the show for the first time, Nate, the host of the podcast, The Vinyl Guy. Nate, how are you? I'm doing great, Brandon. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Aside for from aside from chasing guests, <laughs> that's fine. You know, again, you know how to make a how how to make a girl feel special. This is this is this is the equivalent of you texting at two a.m. saying you up. So <laughs> anyway, glad to be here. I'm happy to talk Metallica. I've got awesome. I've got views that people may agree with, they may not agree with, but uh, let's let let's roll and. And see how much love and or hate that I can generate here. On the I, I am I'm more than uh, happy to do all that. I love the hot takes here on Metallicast. If somebody has a controversial opinion, I love to get into it and uh, get their view. So let's start at the beginning. Like, what was your introduction to Metallica? I, I know that you said prior to uh, we, you know, we had about maybe a two-minute tops conversation before we started hitting record where we literally introduced yes. ourselves to each other that's how new and fresh this is um i've seen the podcast on twitter you we're both been following each other um so tell me what is your background with metallica i know you that you mentioned there's some albums you like some albums that do not do much for you so what's your background with them yeah okay so metallica my first introduction to metallica was ride the lightning my friend tom jones and i and i swear to god that's his name tom jones we were young his his brother got him a record for christmas or whatever and it was metallica ride the lightning and i and i remember he said uh oh man this album sucks you know i was asking him about it he was he was getting got the one the album that he really wanted was i think the georgia satellites or something like that right and and he's like, oh, they gave me Metallica. This sucks. I'm like, all right, well, let me let's 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 listen to it. And he put he put it on. I'm like, dude, this isn't bad. This is I'm I'm okay with this. And he's like, yeah, I, I guess it is. You know, and he <laughs> I, he listened to it with new ears. Yeah. And I, I I gotta I gotta admit, there's probably some other you know chemical happening <laughs> at that point. But um, he we both started grooving on it. Right. And we we're like, oh, this is all right. And so. Um, I, I, I liked Metallica. I, I would, this, I was in the Bay area in San Jose. And, um, I remember the day master of puppets came out. I remember I went to the record factory and I saw master of puppets there and I grabbed master of puppets on vinyl and I took it home. And then we had, uh, what else? Um, I saw him a couple times live. I remember the day Cliff Burton died. Um, but I'm a Metallica fan of that old school, right? I've seen Metallica twice that I can remember, both times with Cliff Burton. That's the era that I really, really like. Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets. Nice. So growing up in the Bay Area during that time period, were they did you were able to see kind of them start from like that local barrier scene and grow? 
Oh yeah. Not only that, they were playing clubs and stuff like that. And I, again, I didn't frequent a whole lot of metal clubs at the time, yeah. but I know they were playing at a lot of the clubs. Um, I also knew like girls who were a little bit closer to the band than most. So that was <laughs> a, you know, it was like, Oh really? She's doing him, you know? So that was uh yeah, there was that connection too, but yeah. that was a, you know, yeah. Non-musical. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, they were making music, just not, the, just not music on stage. No oh, man, that yeah, I I would have I, <laughs> I'll, I'll bet whatever whatever it sounded like, it's better than Lulu. Okay, so uh... <laughs> well, it's so funny you say that because last week uh, our episode was two and a half hours about Lulu. I was joined by a music journalist, a frequent guest of the show, Mr. Richard Essie, and we broke down every aspect of this controversial, polarizing album. And after that two and a half hours, I thought to myself, you know what? I The podcast is done with this album. We, we've covered it as the Metallica podcast. We've covered it. We can move on. And then, and this is the funny story. Then uh, I came across through, I, I did a lot of research going into the album. I'm, I'm a, I consider myself a pretty casual Lou Reed fan. So I had to kind of do a little bit more of a deep dive into some of his catalog. And I went to Facebook groups and got connected to Discord groups that all about Lou Reed and Velvet Underground and talked to a lot of the fans. Because I want to also their side of the Lulu album. Because you, you hear about the Metallica fans' opinion. I wanted to get to the bottom of like, what did the hardcore diehard Lou Reed fans think of the album? Turns out very mixed as well, but some think it's a masterpiece. Some think they should have never worked with a band as amateurish and childish and as silly as Metallica. Um, but you know, there it was a wide range of opinions, but I say that only because I thought I was done two and a half hours. That's more than enough. And then through my research, I came in contact with Lou Reed's guitar tech who was there for the entire making of Lulu firsthand experience of the process. And that was my guest yeah. tonight. And <laughs> so all the That's questions, the guy that bailed on you. all the questions I prepped are actually about Lulu. So how about I just ask you the questions? instead? <laughs> Look, I tell you, I've, I, 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 I've, I've listened, I've probably spent about 30 minutes of my life with Lulu. I haven't gone all the way through it. I, you know in what? fact, that's about, fact, that's about 29 <laughs> minutes and 35 seconds more, more than most people who put it on. So I'm not saying it's a bad record, but I, I, I took off to put on a Yoko Ono album. So uh, that's the, <laughs> anyway. All right. Enough Lulu bashing, but Okay, so that's my history. You know, uh, yeah. early days Metallica. I saw them. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing. One show I saw. I saw two shows. Uh, one of them was the Day on the Green, and um, they opened, or they were kind of mid. It was middle the, of the bill. Must have been the '85 one. I think it was Scorpions headlined. Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, I think Rat was on there, if I recall right. Yeah. Um, Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I also remember Ingve was on the bill, and I remember during during Ingve's set, he, something happened, some sort of guitar snafu happened, and mm -hmm. he got really upset. He threw a fucking can I cuss? Oh yeah, can I cuss? Oh yeah. He, he, threw, he threw a fucking tantrum on the stage. <laughs> he was throwing, he was throwing foot pedals. He was just. I remember 
and like I was I was 16 or whatever. I was just like, and, and even I was like, that is way out of line. That is so unprofessional. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so nice. I'm, and I remember, I remember Metallica playing with the Clipper and I remember the crowd went nuts. Yeah. Um, I, um, <laughs> I, I went with my brother, my brother, he's six years older than me. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the, we both went in the crowd and as crowds do, you kind of get separated, right? right. You, know, you kind of get pulled away. And U.S. crowds, when it comes to shows, are just, you know, it, especially Metallica, show, it just got crazy, right? Sure. And so he and I, se- he and I separated. And um, about an, you know, at one point, I'm, you know, in the crowd. People are starting to throw stuff. And you know what an igloo cooler is? Yeah. Like one of those big, yeah. yeah coolest someone fucking heaved one of those and it flew <laughs> over the crowd it flew over the crowd and you know it landed on someone yeah and i'm like I'm, I'm like oh that just hit some poor dumb son of a bitch right you know and i didn't so I didn't unsuspecting think any... just in the back yeah. of the head <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't think anything more of it until about you know a little while later i found my brother in the crowd and he had blood trickling down oh. his head <laughs> 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 I got hit, I got hit by a fucking big blue cooler. I'm like, dude, I saw that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, so I saw Amazing. that show. I also saw Metallica open, or no, they closed. It was New Year's Eve, 1983, I think. Um, I believe it was in San Francisco or Oakland. And the, here was the bill: Metallica, um, Metal Church, wow. Megadeth, and Exodus. Wow! Yeah. And it was, it was, and and I didn't really realize at the time that there was this kind of rivalry or this kind of sure. situation between Metallica and Megadeth, and I Megadeth just played, and then I, I I found out, you know, in the in the months, uh, you know, afterwards, like, oh, that was a very, you know, they they don't like each other, and then there was yeah. this whole thing, but the, but yeah, they were on the same bill in New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty three. That's amazing. Well. I mean, if you're going to see two shows of those early years, those are two pretty monumental shows because Day on the Green 1985 is a historic show from Metallica. I mean, even on this podcast, we dedicated a whole episode to breaking down that show. It's very um, monumental, mainly because of Cliff Burden, I find. it's There's only so much footage that exists, and there's some actual professionally shot footage from that show that was used for MTV at the time and uh other media outlets so and a lot of the cameras shot on the side of the stage that cliff appears on so you get some really Mm -hmm. fantastic shots of up close of him doing his solos and playing his bass lines and it's just a really historic show so to be there and have your brother hit by an igloo cooler i mean that it it (laughs) doesn't get any better than that (laughs) but yeah, I, now what? Now tell me a little bit more, because because honestly, I'm coming into this like I'm I'm not mm-hmm. a huge Metallica fan. Sure, There's, you know I dabble in and out of the career, and um, like that show we just described. Is it most famous because it was videoed and because it was captured so much, or, there, or is there any other lore around it that I should know about? It was also just you know one of their big, one of their earliest shows on that big of a stage in front of a hometown mm-hmm. crowd too. So I think, you know, because of the performance itself, um, it being one of those earlier performances on that big stage, it being such a monumental performance with that classic Cliff Burton lineup, and it just being such a ferocious performance from start to finish, it has sort of lived on 
famously among Metallica fans. Um, and and mm. Day on the Green, I think, is just one of those American festivals that people got to experience holding in such high regard and have such, you know, loving memories of attending those shows year after year uh, for those of you who are more local. Um, and, and it's just, when you look between 1985 and the early 90s, it really shows the story of Metallica because they were there in 85, early on in the main stage or mid bill or wherever their placement was, you know, you know, they were headlined over few, several other bands were headlining over them, but just a handful of years later in uh, it was 91 or 92, they're coming off the success of the black album and they're the band. And that happened to be the last year that Bill Graham was the uh, before he passed. Um, okay. so it's just sort of kind of that overall story of like the hometown success story, getting Cliff Burton on video, being one of their earlier performances in that big of a stage. It's just sort of has lived on. And the, after Cliff Burton passed the first, uh, like full length music video that Metallica ever released, um, on VHS originally, um, was Cliff Amal, which was Cliff, just, Cliff Amal, yeah. yeah, just a bunch of like, you know, mainly hand shot fan footage put together to pay tribute to him. And the day on the green songs, um, are featured, uh, at least two of them are featured on that VHS. So it being on that too, mm -hmm. just kind of helped it grow. And now in the age of YouTube where everything's on there, I, I think it's continued to grow. And there's you in, you know, when I, I, uh, I sometimes write, uh, for a site, metaltalk.net. And the first article I wrote for them, they asked me to write about Day on the Green and that Metallica performance back in 1985. Mm -hmm. So writing that whole article on that, you know, I kind of uh, went into, again, some Facebook groups of, uh, and, and there's whole groups dedicated to Day on the Green and posting pictures and videos of those old shows and people who people were there just, you know, want to remember those memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was just a really special time in so many people's lives and just ca had so many bands that were up and coming at the time and are now just legends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Day on Green was always one of those things to where you had to seriously not want to go to not attend. Everyone was going like in our neighborhood. It was yeah. like, yeah, you, it's, it was a given unless there was some sort of huge reason why you shouldn't go. Now, Brendan, you're inspiring me because I'm starting to think about some other things from back in the day a couple a, a couple of things um i used to live right near that tower records on blossom hill and oh boy i'm trying to remember the street name off that there was a tower records that metallica played in the parking lot of mm. um i want to say this is around the 93 or so um brand new tower records uh and they were like one of the world's biggest bands at the time. And I remember hearing like, they're going to play in a fucking parking lot, yeah. you know? That and might have been it, actually, I think that, you know, it's funny you mentioned that just because uh, video from that would just kind of made the news cycle this past week. And I think if memory serves me correctly, it's from the load era. So that was more like 96. Does that sound like that could be right? It could like have mid been. It could have been. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't have been after, say, 99 or yeah. 98, because I lived in Santa Cruz at the time. But I lived in San Jose right around there. And I remember 
thinking, should I go to this thing? I don't, should I go to that? And I remember trying to drive even close to it, just out of curiosity. It was one of the things where it's like, well, if it's easy, I don't know. Obviously it wasn't easy. There was just, it was just crowds around. So, and there was no, and and it was like, I I don't think they played very long. And then the cops had to disperse it because it just got way too crazy. Yeah. That's funny. It was right across, it was right across from Oak Ridge mall. I remember that Blossom Hill and fuck maybe Santa Teresa. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to figure out, but th- there's that here's, here, here's another bit of metallic information. I, um, I actually, uh, I was interviewing at Napster. Oh, wow. Um, I'm an IT guy. Right. And I, um, I was interviewing at Napster, um, when the whole Metallica thing hit mm-hmm. and at Napster, there were two Sean's there was Sean Fanning who was kind of the poster boy at the time. Yeah. He was on mm-hmm. the cover of Time. He was a, the guy with the baseball hat. Everyone kind of knew him. And then there was Sean Parker, who was the behind-the-scenes Sean, who was the investor and right. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, Sean Parker has gone on to fund Facebook. Uh, Justin Timberlake, I think, played him in the movie, The the Social, yeah. whatever it was. Um, so he's become like this billionaire, right? Um, but at the time he was not the more famous Sean. So when they told me, you know, I was going through the interview process and they told me, uh, towards the end, it's like, okay, you gotta come in, you gotta talk to, you gotta talk to Sean. Oh, cool. I get to meet Sean Fanning. That's just awesome. (laughs) I show up and it's the other Sean. Uh, And I was kind of like, I was a bit crestfallen, but it was all right. So anyway, the interview process went great. Um, they were, uh, making me an offer. They were in the process of making me an offer. And then... Uh, within the week, that's when the Lars Napster thing hit. Yeah. And then the, they just kind of went dead on the whole thing. When I finally got a hold of them about a week or two later, they said, look, we got to rescind, you know, yeah. uh, our, our verbals here because, you know, you're, you know, we, we, we've obviously we've got to now, you know, revisit our whole model of doing business and, and we need to hire lawyers, not you know, yeah, yeah, web yeah. guys. So, um, so that was a bit of a bummer, but, um, yeah. So, so in a way, Lars cost me that job. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was your view as a, as a music lover, as, um, in, as an IT person, what was your view of Napster and that model and sort of, uh, it, it, looking back on it now too, with 2021 lens? Yeah, look, uh, you know, I I think there needs to be this all you can eat kind of model of consumption of music. Right. I, I don't think it's sustainable. Um, I think there needs to be a governor. So um, the, the Napster model wouldn't work uh, because you wouldn't get artists that are putting their stuff out. You the only reason Napster worked briefly is because there's a whole catalog of stuff that people didn't have. You know, right. but once you once you get ten thousand MP3s really are you going to listen to them all no you're probably going to go back to the same 17 albums right sure, yeah um so so there needed to be um uh, some way of, of monetizing it some way of being able to reward the artist directly um i don't think the current streaming model really works either you know with spotify and apple music because you see you know artists are, are they're getting 100 million people listening to their song and they're getting checks for you know 64 bucks Total, so yeah. there needs to be now the way I look at streaming and, and my podcast, if I could plug it here, the of vinyl course. guide, we are, I talk to vinyl collectors. We like physical 
media music. And to me, that is really important to not only hear the music, but also be able to hold it as well, mm -hmm. right? It's, a, it's, it's an experience. It's not just an ear experience. It's, it's an yeah. eye experience. It's a hand experience. Um, it's tactile. It's, it's, it, and you should spend some time with it to truly appreciate how an artist wants you to kind of experience their music. Um, to me, I use streaming as try before you buy. Mm -hmm. I'll listen to it. If I like it, I'll then go out and I'll buy the physical product. If mm -hmm. I if I don't really connect with it, then you know, then I'll I I, I more than likely won't. So yeah. I, I agree with that, but I do think there needs to be some sort of way to reward the artist more than there is. Otherwise, you know, people people are unable to to, to do it. You know, so I agree with that. I, I think you know there. I think the streaming model is very consumer friendly, not very artist friendly. But I wonder if the damage is done and like, I don't know where the music industry goes from here to rectify that for artists it, it, after it, because this has become such a, a staple now that, uh, you know, people got used to getting all their music for free for a time period. Right. And now we're getting used. Then we got used to the iTunes model and now we're used to the Spotify, Apple music model. So, I mean, people will adjust, but I don't know. Um, you know, what will really come from it unless the people are willing to pay more per month or uh, the companies are willing to, you know, actually shelve out more per stream, which I'm not sure how to get a company yeah. like Apple to to do that. And Apple's more fair than and compared to, you know, Spotify. I mean, and, 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 and I say that only in the yeah. regard that, you know, Spotify is that much worse <laughs> the, look the horse is bolted and quite honestly music doesn't have the same social cachet that it used to yeah um and part of that has been because we've devalued it so much um you know if you you look at you know if, um uh, any sort of uh, uh media um when it's when it's limited it can be special and people tend to value it more right. when it's all you can eat people are just animals right and so yeah. I, I it's and even with you know my kids they don't really talk about music as much as i used to talk about music my friends and i used mm -hmm. to talk about music um and i know that i'm much more of a music nerd than probably most but it doesn't really hold the same sort of thing it doesn't you know they, they don't listen to music like like I used to maybe like you used to and yeah. really used to consume a huge portion of the day. It's more kind of background stuff now. And occasionally there's a few little times where you, you focus, but then you tend to go back to Instagram or whatever. Right. So I think uh, music is been devalued and I don't think it's coming back, but to me, that doesn't negate the possibility of us supporting the artists who we do enjoy. Sure. And so I always make it a point to buy records to buy an album because that's the the, the most direct and, and I believe the most profitable for the artist. If I could buy it directly from the artist on their band camp, even if I could wait for band camp Friday to make sure they get the extra 20% yeah, or whatever, yeah. I totally do that. I get a t-shirt. I got a freaking two drawers full of t-shirts that I almost never mm -hmm. wear. But but look, I, I'm okay with that because I know that money went to the artists and Absolutely, you know yeah. I'm okay. I, I'm I'm okay to, to splash a few bucks here and there if it and it, it makes me feel good that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping this, you know, th this artist continue in whatever little way that is. Absolutely. Cause I know there's been stories out there about artists that I've enjoyed uh, who have literally come out and said like, Hey, 
we are not able to make a new album or, you know, they start a GoFundMe to make a new album. Cause like it, it, it's either this or we don't have the funds to keep on making music. Like, you know, it, it's <clears throat> forcing artists, I guess the, you know, the, the pro is, is that it's forcing artists to be more creative in a way, but that's a huge con too, because it's coming at the expense of them possibly be able to make a, a livelihood. Um, and, and I feel like for me personally, I'm in a unique spot. My, as like the generation who got to, uh, kind of experience both as their, as like the primary way to get music in the sense that, um, I feel like I was the last generation who got to experience like going to your local record store and like digging through albums and being like, Oh, that's a cool cover. I've never heard this band before. I'm going to go home and put it on or your friend brings it out to school like listen to this and then you go home you put it on and and when i did that and even if i bought an album i was like i don't really like this i bought it i'm gonna revisit i'm gonna give it a second spin maybe a third spin because i'm like i spent money on it i I might as well try to like it you know (laughs) and sometimes and sometimes it clicks and sometimes you're like all right i lesson learned with that band but then you move on to the next one or and it's like oh well that's a cool cover i'm gonna oh so i heard this about this band or whatever. and now i would in i i personally have transitions where i feel like um you know my my primary way of consuming music now is through streaming through apple music um and and that's not really so much um my preference just the reality of where i live right now there's not a lot of local record stores immediate within immediate like range where I can easily drive to. Um, there's not uh, a large selection outside of that. Like, it's not like you can even go to Best Buy anymore and have a large CD collection, uh, a, a, a selection, I should say. Um, and, and also just the, my personal life right now between work, I have a young kid. It's like, I'm only, I, I I'm, experiencing music now in smaller chunks just naturally because of life um and so i'm no longer you know sitting down as much and just focusing on an album and looking the line notes and reading through the lyrics and seeing who wrote what song and what which is like how i grew up listening to music so I, i feel like i kind of have a unique perspective of both sides of it and i prefer the old way i feel like i'm stuck in the new way um, but I will say too, it does change your relationship with the music because when, you know, I stream an album and I don't like it, if it doesn't have me instantly, I very rarely revisit it. It's just like, okay, right. delete. Whereas, like I said, if I bought the album and I have the, you know, the physical product, I'm more likely to revisit. And sometimes you have those artists or those albums where it, you're not going to get it the first listen. You, it, mm-hmm. It's going to take those repeated listens. Like Lulu. <laughs> you, you, you're more than welcome to listen to that repeatedly. It's, uh, uh... No, but you bring something home, you may not even be in the mood for it. You know, you right, may, yeah. you know, you may, something may have happened. It kind of bummed you out a little bit. Maybe you're not in the mood for something peppy, you know? So um, I look, I, what you just described is totally my story with the Black Sabbath album, Born Again. Yeah. Um, and born again, I mean, uh, people will love it or hate it. A lot of people absolutely hate it, say it's the worst thing Black Sabbath ever did. But it's the first Black Sabbath album I bought with my own money. 
And therefore I took it home. And I was like, well, fuck, it better be good. Cause this cost me, you know, two weeks of, you know, raking leaves or whatever. And so I, 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 I forced myself to listen to it multiple, multiple times. I still love this album, the album to this day, but I don't think my love is purely because of the music. I think it's because of that moment where I made myself like it yeah. because it was important that I like it, that I didn't <laughs> feel like I just shit my money away. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Totally. It, 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 it is interesting, you know, I, and I do feel like it is easier for me now to hear new music in a lot of ways, but I don't, like I said, I just don't experience it the same way and I don't digest it the same way. Um, and that's not entirely the fault of streaming. Like I said, it's, it's sometimes it's mm-hmm. outside uh, reasons, but it is interesting to see how quickly it's changed. And uh, I, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm at a loss to see where it goes, but I, to your point, you have to support the artist through seeing them on, you know, on when they come around and play the show, especially now the shows are starting back up again. You know, it, it seems like a lot of tours are full speed ahead as of, you know, July or so um, and beyond. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that continues. Um, it, t-shirts is a big one, posters, all those pins and patches and everything. You know, all that stuff is g- going to go a long way in helping these bands, especially the uh, the the lesser known bands, the more uh, obscure mm-hmm. bands and artists, they, they need every cent to get to the next tour stop, to get to the next studio, record, you know, their next few songs and whatnot. So let me ask you this. Okay. Cause with Metallica, the way they are at this mm-hmm. moment, and we've seen the movies, we've seen the possessions and the wealth and everything are you still able to relate to them? Well, like, would would you go out of your way to to give them money versus, say, an up and coming band? Yes. The reason being is because at the end of the day, they are still my favorite band, and I feel mm-hmm. like they always give you your money's worth. So even if they per, uh, possibly do not need the money themselves, right? They, you're going to get what you pay for, whether it's a show that you go see live, whether it's a licensed book or a t-shirt, everything's of like the highest quality. I feel like with them, like they have a really strict hand with anything that they put their name on officially. Uh, So, you know, you're getting a high quality product and there's also a lot of options out there now and, and, you know, collecting has become such a big thing in the, metallica world now um mm-hmm. and so you can really pick and choose like uh, i don't I, i'm not gonna spend my money on that but i this is something that i really think i'd be interested i can gravitate towards that so you have options now with the band like that so i'm I, i'm not the type of person i'm not gonna go out and just spend money because it says metallica but you know like if they come out with like a collecting collector figure thing i don't need that because it's not my interest i don't need that displayed in my house but they might come out with another product where i'm like I really have an interest in that, whatever I'm mm-hmm. going to, I, I'm going to pursue that not just because it says Metallica, but because I'm a fan of the band and want to support them. And it's something I'm going to be interested in with that said, you know, it, you have to remember too, that they're supporting a lot of other people below them. They're a brand, they're a company, they're a corporation right now. So like, while the four of them might be multi-millionaires, 
the people below that are working for them are not right so all that money will trickle down and you gotta support the whole organization if you're i think mm-hmm. if you're if you're if you're a fan which obviously I okay. am, I'm hosting the podcast so <laughs> <laughs> and, and look i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to judge anyone i certainly have my own my own tastes and and things and, and so yeah don't don't think of my questions as anything no no it was a good question yeah. but but let me let me ask you this okay in the same way that i you know tr- made myself love black sabbath born again is there do you allow yourself to be disappointed by metallica every so often sure um you know i i i'm definitely more biased because they're my favorite band so i feel like i i do if they come out with something i do not like i think more than any other band i will not just dismiss it i will kind of revisit and kind of try to force myself into liking it um but it doesn't always click like you know i'm not i i despite all the jokes lulu is not my favorite album um uh you know i i when people when you look at like the some of the songs on like i like the reload album i can say though i think while i had some amazing songs that i think are maybe even a few i rank among their best there's a few i would rank among their worst uh, i think there's you know like the song better than you i think is the worst single they ever came out with um, and it's if you don't know the single, there's a reason why. I don't think it's that great of a song. So you know, I I do try to, um, especially as the host of the show, where I'm exploring all these different aspects of their career, I do try to be subjective. I am a fanboy. I'm not going to deny that. Um, and so I do. You know, I, the point of the podcast is to celebrate my love of the music and to talk to other people who are into the music. But you know, I do try to approach it with a subjective, critical ear when necessary and i i think too a lot of it for me because i'm such a big fan and am a bit of a fanboy is a lot of times i'm judging it towards kind of the rest of their catalog you know like master puppets being the crowning jewel in my opinion where does this rank next to master puppets um rather than being like well let's look what what else was going on this year and in that year and this in with this Mm -hmm. band that and i think sometimes it's important to do that I think for the sake of like this podcast, it's easier sometimes for me to be like, where does this rank in context of their specific catalog? But with that said, you know, I I, I feel like I I also come at it with a unique perspective in the sense that I, um, you know, I am a massive fan. I'm also a musician. I have a music background, a music teacher. um, And I I do have it while I'm a metalhead first and foremost, it's my the primary my primary love is like metal and rock you know i listen to other styles of music and mm-hmm. i'm into other artists that are exist outside the metal world whether it be johnny cash or tom waits or nick cave and or uh, you know we just more out mm-hmm. there stuff or jazz artists or whatever so i feel like you know i can bring in a little bit of that as well and and so it it, mm-hmm. it is a but it does to your question it does uh especially doing this podcast, it makes you look at things a certain way. And I think if anything, this podcast is maybe be a little bit more judgmental and critical of albums mm-hmm. um, and songs and moments and concerts than I would be. But yeah, I think there's just so much out there right now that uh, I don't need to gravitate towards just because it says Metallica. I can kind of just pick and choose where I want right. to spend my money, 
where I want to go. And, and I, and I hope that I'm able to, uh, uh, approach things with a, with a critical eye and a subjective mm-hmm. eye, but I, I, there is definitely a little bit of bias there. I don't, I don't think I can completely push it down and ignore the fact that mm-hmm. it's there. <laughs> have you, have you, uh, seen, it's a very recent video. It's by a music critic called Todd in the shadows. Mm-mm. Um, he did a video, a, a, a critique, a review of St. Anger. Mm. Um, if you haven't already look it up on YouTube, it's fascinating. And I, oh, wow. I absolutely, I absolutely love just about everything Todd in the shadows does. And I think he tends to be pretty spot on with things, mm-hmm. but he, he reviewed St. Anger in the context of what was happening at the time yeah. and, um, and everything. And so, um, and it's, it's not just a, you know, people ripping on the sound of Lars's snare um obviously you have to acknowledge it but just really the context of it and i think it was is really quite insightful so anyway if you or your listeners yeah yeah yeah, google it's it's called train records he does he does these this series this documentary series on albums that change the trajectory of bands oh wow and uh yeah saint anger uh train records uh look it up on youtube i'd be interested to hear your take on that i i I will 100 percent look into it and, and the great thing about doing this podcast too is that you know not everybody who comes on here is a fan of everything and everybody who is a who even is a fan has a different entry point so they view different things in mm-hmm. high regard than others you know so it's like you know saint anger is one of those controversial albums where i mentioned uh i think i mentioned richard s he earlier who's the music journalist the reason i ever even came in contact with him is because he wrote a whole 75 word article about how St. Anger was Metallica's final masterpiece. And he breaks mm. down to detail about every reason why he loves that album. Obviously a very different opinion than a lot of other people. So, you know, it's, it, I like to have people like that on who have hot takes or, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's why I'm so interested in exploring different things like Alulu, which is such like a controversial polarizing part. Like it's easy, I feel like, to talk about master puppets like very few people it, we, i want to celebrate that album it's my personal all-time favorite album but i think it's very easy for people to come on and be like yeah it's a good album like we're not nobody's going to dispute that but i think when you get into like the loads the reloads the saint angers the lulus and those moments that are more like hot topics for metallica fans you get more interesting stuff because there's such uh even to this day like load people will be like you know there's people who absolutely adore that record and there's people who absolutely despise that record. A lot of it depends on, you know, when they became a fan and this and that and whatever. But it, it is a fascinating look. So I think I that's another reason why I love doing this podcast is just getting other people's opinions. And not every, you don't have to be the biggest fan and uh, to be a guest on it. You can come and shit on them mm-hmm. and or shit on this album or shit on that song. That's completely cool. I, I value all opinions Mm -hmm. and i and i and i but i'm really fascinated by things like you said where it's like i i want to i i'm the kind of music nerd that i seek that stuff out like i want to read this review i um you know i like form my own opinion but i I, i'm very interested in hearing what other people think and say when it's not just Mm -hmm. like yeah the snare drum is off so again we 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 can we can hear that but let's let's get let's dig a little deeper (laughs) (laughs) now one well, I had a friend of mine, he used to run a memorabilia shop. And I don't mean like music memorabilia. I mean yeah. stuff like Elvis and Marilyn Monroe and the Rat Pack and stuff like that. And and I was asking him, I was like, why are these 
so popular why you know from the 50s these guys haven't really been around they died years ago and, and he's like that's exactly why people like them because they're they're frozen in time they're frozen in amber they're not going to screw up they're mm -hmm. not going to you know come out now and you know do anything <laughs> controversial yeah. it's like they're that way and they're in their they're celebrated in their glory and 100%. i think a little bit of that what you just said about about master of puppets is is kind of made me think of that because master of puppets and ride the lightning and probably kill them all too that was the band with cliff burton and if it the difference between that band and everything else they've done is Cliff Burton. And so if you insult those albums, or if, you know, mm. then effectively you're insulting Cliff Burton, a guy who's passed, a guy people hold, you know, in very high reference. Sure. So um, there's almost this, you know, uh, in, and like you said, they're good albums. They're, they're fine albums, very listenable, very energetic, probably the band at, at their creative prime, at least in my opinion, mm -hmm. but, you know, you're not going to find a lot of people slagging on those albums because, right. you know, again, there's that 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 stigma against, you know, shitting on the guy who's no longer here. Yeah. And it's funny to think of that, too, because I, I I could not tell you who the guest was or what the episode was. But I remember having a conversation with somebody on this podcast about something similar to that. We're like, well, you know, you have those artists that are captured in time because they've tragically passed away. Right. So it's like but who knows if they were still around today what people's opinion would be like think of Kurt Cobain for all we know mm -hmm. he could have gone way pop and corporate or he could have gone completely left field and completely done like a found God or found God <laughs> or he could have just gone completely fringe and just like you know gone like the Lou Reed route and metal machine music and just you know completely isolated his old fan base or what have you you know so it's like there's no there's no telling what direction he would have been in, or he never had a chance to make that stinker, right? You know, any band who's yeah. around for years and years, years and years, they're gonna have that song, that album, or multiple albums that you're just like, it, it's there, you know, or it's bad, or what, what have you. Not every album over a forty year career is going to be this masterpiece, right? But when you have this small window of time your all your stuff's going to be held in higher regard and you're going to be and i'm not i'm not saying this to belittle him or belittle any other artist but you know it, it, he's this genius he's these albums are masterpieces i'm not arguing that or whatever mm -hmm. i'm just saying it's captured in that time and and there's no there's no memory of after that because he yeah. took that from us you know so it's just there's nothing's tarnished let, let me ask you a question what would it take? What would Metallica have to do for you to say, you know what? I'm out. I don't want, I, I, yeah, this is no longer my favorite band. Um, I think it would have to be honestly like a personal thing. Like I'd have to find out like one of them is like a pedophile. <laughs> oh, like Megadeth. <laughs> like, <laughs> for the record, the story is that she was of age. For the record, uh, yeah, I know, I know. I'm just, I'm um, but yeah, uh, no, I think like, um, you know, like they've done things like they did a, a, a collaboration back, it was actually during the St. Anger sessions where 
uh, James was off in rehab and they had all these demos lying around and space and Rob was not in the band yet. Cause he came in at the end of the album. It's like, it was literally like just Lars and Kirk, like fiddling their thumbs, not sure if there's going to be a band, not sure what to do with the demos and uh, Swiss beats. Who's a hip hop producer. He came out, he came along and wanted to use uh, Metallica for an upcoming like compilation album. He was playing together and wanted to basically do like, you know, a rap metal mashup that was so popular at the time. So they took like a pre-existing demo that they had recorded before James went to rehab and they had Ja Rule rap over it. And it is horrendous. It is absolutely terrible. And it is without a, without, without a doubt, the worst thing, Metallica has ever put their name on and, and musically in my opinion um, and did we spend a 45 minute episode talking about it on this podcast yes we did because I am the Metallica podcast but <laughs> but no all joking aside um, it, that all that happened and it, it and it's atrocious but what I admire about Metallica is that they can put it doesn't seem to matter what they do musically they always find a way to keep on going on I think that's a sign of a great art so like when you have like they can release a Saint Anger, they bounce back with Death Magnetic. They can release a Lulu, they bounce back with Hardwire Self Destruct. These new albums that most people have a positive reaction towards. They're still selling out stadiums. They're still, you know, number one album. Like they've they've taken their hits. They've done things that people think are bombs or failures or creatively or I mean, Lulu is a commercial failure too. And if you compare it, not if you compare it to Lou Reed's catalog, but if you compare it to you know the typical. Metallica debut is a complete unmitigated failure uh, commercially, mm-hmm. and it, it. But you know they bounce back, and they it's some they they do something else, and it hooks people back, and they seem to be kind of in that rare spot right now where they've taken their hits, they keep on going, and they there doesn't seem to be any really able to slow them down. So that's why I say like even if they came out with something completely left field that was like this is horrible, I I would still you know I. I would still have the rest of the stuff, right? So, so for me to just completely give up on them, I think they would have to really do something drastic, like personally, that would make me be like, I, I, I can't really condone this. Like you murdered somebody or raped some or something horrible. Or maybe if they just completely were went against everything they've stood against for forty years, like, like you know, um, like. Uh, I don't, I don't know, like they start wearing like Bank of America t-shirts or have like flashing Bank of America things over their stage or I don't know, like it just become way too corporate. I, I mean, you know, like they're they're corporate and brand enough. I don't need it flashed in my face, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't, I don't know. But I, those are really the only two extreme examples I can think of this. Way. I mean, they've been doing it for 40 years. So I feel like, you know, at this point – um they would have they would have lost me by now i feel like at my age okay all right so very very low low choice that you're, <laughs> you're going to replace them but it, you know i will okay. offer if Let's... if something does happen to a band member i will learn the instrument and come in and save the day <laughs> <laughs> so uh so by the way we've had uh robert Trujillo on our show yeah i think it's episode 230 
Awesome. Um, check it out. Uh, he, he, we talked about it quite a few. This is at the very beginning of COVID or kind of middle of COVID probably yeah. uh, for a couple months into it. And so we talked about um, quite a few things. And it was through that podcast that, you know, they revealed they're working on some different material. Awesome, yeah. All the magazines kind of picked up the blog, metal blogs picked up on that. So if you have, you know, some time, you want to hear what the conversation was. I'm, I think it's episode 230. Correct me if I'm if you know differently. I don't have my computer on me, but yeah, Robert Trujillo on the Vinyl Guide. Um, so tell us more about that, uh, tell us more about the Vinyl mm-hmm. Guide. Tell us uh, you you told us a little bit about it. You know, does it stem from? Sure. You're you're a fan of the physical product. Does it stem from? You know, do you have like this massive vinyl collection, or is it just those warm fuzzy memories of you know, or all of the above? Both. <laughs> So I, I make no mistake of where I got my vinyl bug. Every weekend, my father used to take me out, uh, you know, on errands, and he would buy stuff at the shop and car parts and stuff like that. And we'd always swing by the drugstore and pick up some records. And so since I was a young kid, that records is love. It's dad. It's what we did. And so I've carried that um, that torch for physical media music since that day. I do have a large vinyl collection um not it's 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 a lot larger than my wife thinks it is so don't <laughs> tell anyone but it's look it's uh yeah I'm a, I'm a record collector and i and i collect the stories behind the records as well so a lot of what i talked about with robert was his the records that influenced him he's a vinyl collector as well yeah talk about um you know uh, infectious grooves some of the uh suicidal tendencies records some of the rare records that we have i just had you know i i talked to you know a lot of a lot of old punk rock guys who you know released a lot of uh limited run records that are now you know each record is worth the price of my car um those sort of collectibles uh so so yeah if, if you like records you like music stories we try to you know get to the bottom of some of these things um on the vinyl guide um, pretty soon I'm going to have Matt Sorum. We just did an interview awesome, with him. Yeah. He's got some interesting stories about Metallica. <laughs> nice. So, um, uh, anyway, yeah. So the vinyl guide, go to the vinyl guide.com or search it on a, on a, on your podcast app. You can follow us. And yeah, every week we have a new, uh, conversation with a musician or artist or someone in the music industry. Awesome. Fantastic. Nate, I, I have to say, well, first of all, it is episode 230. I looked it up. Episode 230, Robert Trujillo, Vinyl Guy. Check it out. I'll make sure all the links are in the episode description, so it'll just be an easy click away. But uh, I, I have to say, Nate, um, this episode was more than saved. This episode was absolutely fantastic. Excellent. Well, I'm uh, glad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it went from, <laughs> uh, from zero to hero. <laughs> all right. So thank you so much. Where can everybody find you online? Besides vinylguide.com, well, your socials? The vinylguide.com, vinylguide Instagram. Um, follow us on Facebook. Just Google the vinyl guide. Twitter, I think I'm the vinyl guide. You know, it's all mm-hmm. G-U-I-D-E. Um, but yeah, just Google it or put it on your podcast app and it'll come up. You know, every week we got a new episode. Sometimes we have two. So yeah, just give us a follow and hope you guys enjoy the conversations. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nate. This is great. Stay in touch. Definitely. Well, let's do this again. This time we'll plan it out. We will. Yeah. We will. We will. Yeah. Absolutely. Sounds good. Okay, man. Later. Cheers. Bye.
a huge thank you to Nate from the Final Guide Podcast for agreeing to come on this episode, for bailing me out, and more than that, making this a really great, fun show. I had a blast talking to him, and I am sincere when I say I hope that he comes back down the road, and next time, you know, we'll plan something, anything, <laughs> unlike this episode. But I think this was a really fun conversation. I hope all of you in the Metallicast Monday Show really enjoyed it as well. Make sure, if you did, you give him a follow on social media. All the links are in the episode description. And check out the podcast itself, or at least check out the Rob Trujillo episode, as that is, of course, very relevant to every single person listening to this here show. And the links to all, everything, again, is in the episode description. I would love it, too, if you gave me a follow on social media, if you're not already, at MetallicastPod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're new to Metallicast, subscribe, download, leave a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All that goes a long way in helping this podcast continue to grow on my quest for world domination. Joe Rogan, I am coming for your ass. <laughs> and one last thank you. This one to Bison, the one-man band from the UK, whose music appears throughout this episode and now all Metallicast episodes, including that awesome Creeping Death intro. Check out the links in the description for Bison and support my man Hector Castro, the one-man band. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, middle of your ass. Yeah! Fans not experts.